Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon on the number one value investing podcast. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going? It's going great. <laughs> it's going great with everybody else as well. Did you forget to finish your sentence? I was to say with you. Yeah. That's always the thing I say. Okay. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us, I want you to do me a favor. Go to, if you if you don't have an iPhone, go buy an iPhone, open it up, go to the podcast app, give us five stars. If you're listening to us on Spotify, give us five stars. We appreciate all the support. It goes a long way for us. Actually, so what's today's date? The 9th, I believe? 8th. The 8th. February 8th. Um, I think it's February 22nd. I'll have to double check. Will be our four year anniversary on the podcast. Okay. So that's pretty mm-hmm. crazy. And if you've been along for the ride and you want to support us, just hitting that rating button, five stars is the way to do it. If you're interested in learning more about what we're doing on the money management side, reach out to me, Andrew at focuscompound.com. We have a fund for qualified investors and we have managed accounts if you don't meet that threshold and want to get exposure to our way of investing. So today's podcast, we are going to be doing a snap judgment podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is everybody's favorite, I think actually because they love to hear the way that you initially do a snap judgment on a company. What are you looking at? How do you make quick snap judgments? What constitutes as something that you would want to do more research on or quickly pass on. So we are going to um, be using this thread. Mm. I think for the next week we will, because this is January 4th, we will uh, do another call for questions. We just haven't recorded in a few weeks. So yeah. Um, at Focus Compound on at Twitter. Focus Compound on okay. Twitter. There we go. Almost at 30,000 followers. Okay. I think I'm at like 29.8. So uh Check out the Twitter. Okay. Uh, let's see. ATRI. Oh, I know this company. $1.1 billion company, mm-hmm. healthcare business. Uh, Atrion Corporation, together with its subsidiaries, develops, manufactures, and sells products for fluid delivery, cardiovascular applications in the United States, Germany, and internationally. So healthcare business, beta 0.15, share turnover 71%. Um, EV to sales, seven times. 10-year median margins on EBIT, 28%. Looking at gross margins, they've kind of trended down from 51% in 2011. Um, return on equity, though, has been okay. Mm-hmm. Have you looked at this business before? It's headquartered in Allen, Texas. Yes. Look at that. Yep in our backyard yeah i knew that so that's why i was saying it but yeah um I, i've read some like interviews and things and some things about the company that way not so much that i know a lot about the um products that they have or the markets that they're in but sort of capital allocation things like that um it's always been kind of not always but it's been kind of expensive to me um because it had been a very consistent sort of grower i guess uh like very it's a kind of company that's kind of popular that way i guess um so if we look at the history right you can see that in um you know it's pretty fairly slow growth right but that there's some growth in many periods um it has a fairly good return on capital you know returns on equity and things like that 
but it's pretty slow grower. You know, like I think for the, let's see, where did they, their, their earnings are down a little bit from last year. So it's a little unfair in terms of a peak thing, I guess, you know, their peak earnings per share growth would have been higher, but it was only around 5%, right? For the last 10 years. So that's kind of in line with, you know, uh, I mean, it's probably a little behind, but it's, it's sort of in line with the kinds of levels that S&P 500 companies would be expected to grow, like as a group anyway, you know, you expect five or 6% over time. So, um, do we have cash flow information that we could look at? Could you ever see yourself buying like a manufacturer in the healthcare industry? Probably not. It would depend on what they do, but you know, healthcare is just not my, um, an area that I know enough about or could get comfortable with probably. So it looks like about 20 million in free cash flow each year for the last three years or something. What yeah. we're looking at is cash flow for operations, 43 million, 42 million, 39 million. Then CapEx is 18, 20, 22. They've done, we don't know what else that other stuff is, so don't worry about that. But yeah, about 20 million or so a year in free cash flow recently. Um, and then we could just look at the, um, yeah, we can look at the boundary, I'm sure. Uh, very clean balance sheet, right? Yeah. They have 134 total million current in current assets, assets. Total liabilities. Yeah, total liabilities is 30. So that's incredibly low. So um, they actually, that's really, really low. So they have like $100 million more total current assets than total liabilities. And yet they don't have anywhere near like $100 million in um, cash and even investments if we take those. You know, so they, um, all that cash and stuff is obviously excess, you know, surplus cash. Mm -hmm. But you know, on top of that, they have uh, obviously a payment cycle where they're um, a very quick payer um, relative to how long they're allowing people to wait before being paid by them. Um, you know, if you look, if you scroll up, you could see uh, what's their accounts receivable? 25 million. And um, what is their payables? 14 million. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and you can see, and they have a little inventory, and yet they don't have um, much in the way of accrued expenses and things like that. So, um, you know, very safe company in terms of the balance sheet, cash flows look great, all that sort of thing. The issue is just, you know, let's say that it's 25 million in excess cash. There might be more than that because we don't know what that number is with um, investments, right? That could be also effectively cash. Um, so yeah, you have short-term investments at 30 million. Um, yeah, let's say, let's just give them credit for all that stuff and say that maybe there's 80 million in like cash and securities and stuff. We would have to look at 10K to know that. So let's go now to the overview and we can look at their market cap and their EV. So yeah, so there's market cap of 1.1 billion. Yep, and the EV is about a billion. Yeah, 84 million. so maybe it's 1.05. You know, maybe it's one billion and and fifty million is the real like enterprise value or whatever, like it's showing there, something in that neighborhood. Let's say it's a billion, right? Even if it's a billion, we said that free cash flow on an annual basis, right? Free cash flow was only twenty million. Twenty million a year. Um Ish. that's too much for me, I think. Right. So if you have a billion dollar uh, company and you're only generating about 20 million a year in free cash flow, then um, you're trading at about 50 times free cash flow. Mm -hmm. And I just say that's too much. 
Um, so I would just say uh, everything about the company looks good, looks fine, what it says it's in, um, margins that we could go over and all that. Everything about it looks good. It's just that price doesn't price. look good. And I think we sort of see that in QuickFS where they're giving us like EV to EBITDAs 20 times or something. Mm-hmm. Pre-tax, it's 30 times pre-tax. You know, this is just, it's probably too much to pay for any business unless it's a very, very fast growing business. I don't think you want to pay anywhere near 50 times free cash flow for any business. So it would be a pass. Exciting. Yeah, it's not growing that much either. Right. Yeah. Um, so it would just be a pass based on price, but, you know, nothing wrong with the business. Let's look at FLR. Fluor Corporation. Provides engineering, procurement, construction, fabrication, and modularization, operation, maintenance, and asset integrity, and project management services worldwide. Market cap, about $3 billion, EV, $1.9 billion. Okay. And where is it located? Texas. Irving. Irving. Yeah. Um, Noticing a theme here. Yeah. So let's see uh, with annual. Um, did they give some sort of description and talking about it and stuff in the Twitter? Uh, no. He okay. Just put the. No. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. It's a turnaround, multiple assets up for sale here, including a SPAC IPO of New Scale, which is given no consideration on the balance sheet. The restructuring appears to have been successful. I think the business will normalize back to historic levels of okay. profitability. Is I'm going to show my ignorance here. This is New Scale a modular nuclear power project. I have no idea. Let's Google New Scale. Yeah. Yeah. Modular. Good job, you? So there's a ton of these. So SMR they mean small modular reactors is what they call these things. Uh, the government, some other people and stuff, provided a lot of like funding and things to these things to try testing it out. Um, and so it was kind of a um, not commercialized, but a um, uh, a technology that was developed by a bunch of different um, companies. Uh, Babcock and Wilcox, when I you know invest in BWX Technologies, was working on something. Theirs, I think, was called Empower. A lot of them work with partners on this stuff. Um, so that that's so. Let's see with the description on Twitter. He said that for sale, including public. a SPAC IPO of New Scale. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but there's a lot of them. So I just want to warn people. You know. Uh, a lot of different companies got involved, a lot of different engineering companies got involved together with um, usually partnering with someone else. You usually partner someone who knows something about nuclear technology stuff and you partner with some more general engineering thing. And uh, there's a lot of them and maybe one of them will become, will become a dominant design and stuff, but a lot of, you know, all the others will probably, you know, not, never make any money. Uh, BWX Technologies um, decided to, leave to decide to shut down that business and it was because they made the decision in um let's say it was i don't know pretend they made the decision in 20 you know 15 or something like that they would have made the decision because i think at the time they said that any production things would be in the early 2020s at the best there wouldn't be any revenue coming in meaningfully for probably 10 years from when they were working on it and then it just didn't make sense from an economic perspective for that reason i think is what they decided and the same things could hold true for lots of companies even today um so it's you know highly speculative stuff um but obviously they could do something with it and then you would make money from that from the asset sales and everything 
it has a pattern of results, which is not all over the place. Yeah. Gross yeah, margins. It's all over the place. Operating margins. So gross margin is obviously incredibly low. I think that's because of the way that QuickFS is calculating stuff, which is fine. But if you're doing engineering type work for some of these things, I think that's why you end up with very, very low looking gross margins. Because if we look, um, well, there is a gap. So it's not like they're counting operating and gross as exactly the same, but pretty close. So that's sort of the issue that you have here. Um, so the, well, let's focus in on operating margin because it's not really fair to compare them to like gross margin like you would a manufacturer. So operating margin still bounces around quite a bit. Um, but the one that, yeah. So what's the average? Yeah, about 3% that it has there. Which is pretty cheap considering the EV to sales, right? And the price to sales. 0 0.1. 0 0.1, 0 0.2. That's fine with having an... Uh, EBIT margin of around 3%. And actually free cash flow generation has been close to, you know, not bad. It's a good conversion. If you convert two thirds of uh, EBIT into free cash flow, that's pretty good. Um, it does look not expensive, you know, and if they are selling some things off, then certainly that could be attractive. If we look at the long-term return on invested capital, if you just look at that graph, what's it been? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. It has very few years, right? Where it, I mean, very recently it has. But if we look over a full 20 year period, there's a huge number of years in which it's earned, say, 10% or more. Um, we might want to look at the cash flow things. Yeah. Let's see if we. So, what has it been like recently? It's usually pretty lumpy for companies like this. It's declined a lot, too. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, okay, let's look at the, let's do it this way. Yeah, let's look at the overview then. Well, so what's our market cap here in the REV? 2.9 billion market cap, EV 1.9. So one thing is um, the actual cash flow from operations, if you look the last few years, hasn't been that high versus the market cap. You know, it, it not as high as it looks from things like the the um, price to sales and stuff suggest. So this could be unfair because of COVID, um, maybe, or something like that. See, they did have very high numbers in 2016, 2017. But if we just look at the last three years, for instance, and often I just look at the last three, uh, we're talking about cash flow from operations that's only, what, 150 to 220. And then on top of that, they've had sales, uh, you know, stock uh, comp that's like 30 million or something. So that really shouldn't be counted as, you know, money that's really available for um, shareholders. So if we're thinking about that, you know, we are more than the EV is probably more than 10 times recent cash flow from operations, which isn't terrible. Um for a company generally, but it doesn't quite suggest value stock as much as the other things that we saw, like the price of sales with taking into account uh, uh, EBIT. And one reason for that may be that, let's see, um, I'm not sure exactly. I guess it's just a deterioration in business in the last couple of years compared to what it was before. It's shown in the earnings too. So I guess if you take long-term cyclical sorts of assumptions 
uh, you get better numbers for this company than more recent ones. I'd say that's the big difference. Their cash reform operations was fine versus net income in previous years. So it's really a question of whether it can perform more in line with what it did in um, the earlier part of the 2010s. What If we look at the business description, what do they say? We've read it, but um, if they give any information about like, so energy and chemical segment it talks about, right? Does it mm-hmm. talk about anything else like that? Um, you know, if it was tied more to energy, for instance, like oil and gas and stuff like that, then we would have a better explanation for why it might not have been getting enough business in the last few years. Project management services. Mm-hmm. Mining and metals, yeah. yeah. Liquefied natural gas and pipeline markets. Right. So maybe those were bigger, mm-hmm. you know, f- from 2010. Let, let's look down there. So what would have been the project boom? Project management services. Mm-hmm. So that's a very, you know. What would have been the boom, 2010 to 2013 maybe or something? Around 2013 is when that would have peaked? That's, yeah, 2013. Okay, and that does match here. up with this company. And then we're down low now. Um, there's not a huge amount of CapEx and stuff going on in energy right now. But obviously, energy prices are really strong. And, you know, so if there is stuff tied to energy, then maybe it will recover more in the future. On the other hand, maybe that's unrealistic, the numbers it had 10 years ago. We don't have numbers from before that. We'd have return on capital numbers. Um, but, you know, we'd have to download the the um, Excel file and stuff they have in QuickFS to see numbers from 20 years ago to give a better idea of the cyclicality. It seems like it's cyclical, probably pretty cheap. And if it is changing things and stuff, then you should read up on what it's selling off what management's capital allocation decisions are and stuff. I'd mostly be looking at like how cyclical it is and how much that drove results in the past and everything. And now, and if this is a particularly bad time in the cycle, then maybe this is a good time to buy the stock, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I have three stocks written down with a bunch of stars because I did not want to forget about them because (laughs) these are actually the three most common ones that people will DM or just tweet at me and we haven't gone over them recently. Uh, one of them's Turning Point Brands. Uh, right. Then we got PM and uh, MO. So we could go over uh, tobacco industry. So tobacco is what people want to hear about. Correct. Yeah. All right. So we could go over Turning Point Brands first. Uh, we've done work on the company before. Um, together with its subsidiaries, manufacturers, markets, and distributes branded consumer products, the company operates through three segments, Zigzag Products, Stoker's Products, and New Gen Products. Mm-hmm. So stokers being chewing tobacco, zigzag, uh, if you want to roll your own cigarettes or other stuff. Uh, yeah. They're on it, yeah. <laughs> and uh, new gen products was that vape, I'm vape. assuming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, current PE, 13 times, EV to free cash flow, about 18 times, uh, EV to sales, 2.1 times, 10-year median margins on EBIT, 19.3%. Uh, percent. I think this stock is actually sold off a bit. Okay. I'd love to look at it really quick. There we go. Mm. No. So still above, I guess, COVID. It's just pulled back a little bit. So here we are. Well, it's yeah. pulled back a lot recently. From the 52 right, right. So yeah. we're talking about from 52 high and stuff like that. So I guess people, you know, would see that. It is not, however, um, like cheaper now than it was before COVID. We can look at, yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know on a multiple basis. We can see what right. type of business they've done. Um, yeah. We looked at this company, what, three years ago? Probably something Ish, like that. 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2018. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it's a 
often been kind of a reasonable price. It kind of fits everything that you would look for. Yeah. Except, you mean quantitatively. Quantitatively. Yeah. But then how much do I know about what's going to change about marijuana stuff with ZigZag? Right. So they have different, um, just there's a lot going on in that industry now. Right. And maybe different distribution channels and stuff. They had a different, they had an advantage before that would have been easier for me to figure out Mm -hmm. in that they had distribution of the product. Um, is it now going to be more acceptable and widely, um, are we going to see more, um, marijuana related products and accessories and things in all sorts of different places? And if we are, then does that affect things like um, rolling paper and stuff of being in one place where there weren't a lot of different options for it? And obviously people can also buy things over the internet and all that too, but I don't think that that, you know, I'm, we'll see. But I would think that wide availability of other things would be the main problem for that one. But, you know, but previously I would have said that ZigZag is a good brand with good distribution stuff and I would have thought pretty good um, long-term type results you could expect from it and if i was going to invest in something that's tied to marijuana and stuff that would be the one i i would would it be to invest in something like a rolling paper thing not like um um any of these companies that are involved in you know growing and stuff like that picks and struggles or (laughs) the picks and shovel you know yeah and it's already established Mm -hmm. you know in in people's minds and stuff Mm -hmm. um so with not a lot of other options now you've said you know i think you we said i don't know if we did last time we talked about this whatever there are other alternatives that are probably selling a bunch like what is it raw or something is mm-hmm. that what they use yeah yeah and so i'd say in most places now you probably see the two next to each other there maybe there's some other options sometimes but um uh so you know that's what's going on with that company stokers is a value uh tub type brand um, sold in, you know, in, in the country and stuff like that, um, for, um, chewing tobacco and, uh, it's probably taking market share over time. I think there's things where you can track that. And in recent years, it's probably taking market share. And, uh, if you were going to be in some sort of part of the tobacco industry, that would probably be one you'd want to be in, you know, I, w- I would say is that part of it in terms of price and that part of it in terms of uh, what the product is. Um, and then, uh, vape is, you know, I've watched this company, what it's doing with vape and all that. It's just so far outside of what I understand and can follow and everything. The developments there are very fast and, uh, everybody's been buying different things and, and it's very unsettled in terms of how that product's going to be distributed who's going to use it. What are going to be successful in terms of brands and things? So. I feel like that's a very different part of the business. And yet it's an important part of the business. If you look at it and read the presentations and everything, and a lot of the capital allocation may go in that direction. Um, so easier to evaluate the zigzag and, and stokers things, obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, we can look at the price in terms of, uh, we have EBITDA and stuff like that, but probably cash flow from operations. It has a meaningful amount of debt usually, right? Usually has, let's see what about yeah. now. Yeah, we could go quarterly. Yeah, four hundred fourteen million long term debt. Yeah, seven million short term debt. Okay, and what do we have in terms of cash and stuff like that? One hundred thirty one million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay, so I mean, plenty of liquid and stuff like I would like. It just you know is using debt as a permanent part of its capital structure. Um, Obviously, very low capex needs, although they've been doing acquisitions, which a lot of that is, like we said, um, 
related to the um, vape stuff. Uh, but naturally, the company doesn't otherwise need a lot of um, capex or anything like that other than those acquisitions. And, um, you know, they've had... Mm, yeah, 20, 30... I mean, I'm taking out stock comp and things in this, but, you know, 20-something, 30-something, and then 50-something in terms of free cash flow in the last few years, probably. Um, so if we look at the overview... We could get an idea versus price to free cash flow. Um, yeah, so on a leverage basis, that's pretty reasonable, right? You know, I don't know if we're talking about exactly 13 times or something, um, their most recent. You know, there they say, um, well, they don't have price to free cash flow here, but they have EV to free cash flow. But yeah, you know, sub 13 times or something. So very reasonable sort of, that's sort of the PE of the stock. And mm -hmm. what does the PE say? The PE says? 13. 13. So the price to free cash flow and the um, PE are probably pretty similar. So on a leverage basis, you're talking about a stock around 13 or something. On a um, full enterprise value basis, taking into account the debt you're talking closer to 18 or something both of those are not very um expensive revenue growth that's been good each year um but that's with acquisitions for the uh the vape um you could look at it breaking down each segment i think they're significantly different and there might be some disguising of how good uh stokers and uh zigzag are um like, for instance, what do we have? I, I think we have gross margin down at 38% or something in 2019. It's, mm -hmm. it's back up since then. But, you know, the gross margin in those businesses are like 50% or something. So they're weighed down considerably by the amount of um, uh, revenue that is coming in from vape. And that has pretty significantly negative numbers on some things like the operating margin um, and stuff like that. So you can see that in older numbers that when this company was smaller, it had better operating margins and stuff like that. And that's mainly because it didn't have, you know, significant vape stuff probably in that period. So you have to look at it on like each part, but, and then it depends on the cap allocation. I just think they're doing a lot in vape and I don't know anything about vape things and probably wouldn't be able to figure it out. So that's where it's hard for me, but obviously price looks very reasonable. Mm -hmm. Good look at Philip Morris. Mm-hmm. 161 billion dollar market cap ev mm -hmm. of 182 billion ev to sales six times 10-year median margins 40 percent look at the stability of those gross margins mm -hmm. yeah crazy just looking at it from like a quantitative point of view very predictable very Has not a lot of variance at all. Nope, very, very little variance. Quantitatively, this would definitely look like the kind of thing that we'd be interested in. Um, it does have a few years where it has declining revenue, and that's probably because there's actually declining volumes. And so if it's not offset by um, it, it, it price increases, then you have, you know, then you have um, declines that way, obviously. Um, although, let's see. Revenue has gone from $31 billion in 2011 to 286 today. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that that is the issue. I, I would say, you know, these things have been very, very stable to act companies this way, but cigarette companies. But I would say um, 
I like to see revenue increase each year a little bit, gross profit increase a little bit, operating profit increase a little bit. You know, if any one of those things aren't increasing, I like to look into why that is and figure it out. Um, tiny little decreases of half a percent and stuff. This is not a big deal, but I like to see a pattern across all of those where I don't see deterioration in them, you know, um, as a big factor, because if there are any years where there's deterioration in any one of those lines, then it's something that you have to look into because you might not be sure that they can grow enough profitably, use up the money that they have, all that kind of stuff. And here clearly they, you know, aren't and they can't. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have to return all the capital basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We could look at cash flow statement. Yeah. Yeah, they basically do that dividends. Mm -hmm. So they cash from operations, call it, I don't know, 9.5 billion over the past three years. And in 2018, they returned 6.8 billion. In 2019, 7.1 billion. 2020, 7.3 billion. Yeah, basically just paying it all out in dividends. Yeah. So do they buy back stock? They have not okay. since 2015. All right. And then if we look at um, balance sheet, or, you know, we can just look at the EV. Um, what do we have in terms of like long-term debt? $25.7 billion. Mm -hmm. And pension as well. $4 billion. Um, then what do we have in terms of cash? $4.4 billion. Okay. So if we look at the overview, again, we can see um, what the situation is in terms of they have negative... Equity? Mm. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts are when you see companies with negative equity? Well, negative equity can be created a couple of different ways, but the main way would be by buying back your stock, um, presumably. Now, you mm -hmm. could also do it through special dividends. Um, but it would mean that you have a lot of free cash flow. For some reason, maybe it hasn't been reported in earnings. Maybe it has. But then you buy back your stock and you usually do it at high prices versus book. Um, I've invested in companies that had negative uh, book value or were pretty close to negative. I think when I bought IMS Health, it was basically like that. It had a little debt, bought back a huge amount of stock each year, so it probably was slightly negative or something. Um, it's not a ton of debt, I guess, versus you know the size of the business and everything, so it's not too worrying that way. Um, the issue kind of is if it's not growing at all, you know, um, then you are counting on purely having it distributed to you in um, dividends, basically. Mm -hmm. And so then it, it does look to me like, well, how are you going to get really good returns at this point? You know, I guess you could leverage it up more. But let's say you have, you know, what's the dividend yield right now on it? Um, you could see the dividends per share down there is what, 474? Yeah. Yeah, and what's our stock price today? $103. Yeah, so, you know, 5%. Um, that seems really not sufficient, you know? Mm, because you're there's not, no growth attached to right, it. Right, if, if you're not growing, if you wanted to, to... I mean, it does have EPS growth of 3% here. And maybe the dividend's been growing by that much. So if we add that to it, you know, if that really were to happen, then you have like an 8% type return, which is at the bottom end of what the stock market's return long-term, probably 8 to 10 so you'd want a higher dividend yield or higher growth, one or the other. Um, of course, maybe with inflation and stuff in the future, it'll be easier for them to have uh, increases in that kind of stuff. It might be. I don't know. 
but uh, it seems a little expensive to me if it's not going to grow at all. The bigger thing for me always is like I worry about the riskiness of something that's not growing at all. They obviously have a good system in place to deal with the fact that they know that they're not growing and not to do other things and to, you know, have good returns on capital and all of that. So they don't seem to have a lot of risks the way that most companies would when they're not growing, which is that they pursue all sorts of things they shouldn't. But it does seem, you know, it, it does seem like you're taking too much risk for that kind of yield, you know, um, and that's all that you're getting mm-hmm. instead of some other form of upside. Though I can see why people would be interested in it for the yield. And if for some reason you feel that you really need income or something, then I guess it's a nice alternative versus bonds and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can always own something and sell it for to live off the capital gain instead of, um, you know, actually collecting income. You mm-hmm. don't need to collect income. You can look kind at of create your own. Altria. Mm-hmm. To be the last one that we looked at. Um, even free cash flow 14 times, but uh, $92 billion market cap, $114 billion EV, kind of similar situation. Well, revenue is 2.4% over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, gross margins, phenomenal. Operating margins, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Let's see what they've done in the cash flow statement. Yeah, very similar. They pay dividends and also buy back some stock as well right um and so let's look at their dividend situation oops so in 2021 $3.52 dividends on a $50 stock okay so we're talking close to 7% or something like that Mm -hmm. um you know that's good uh revenue growth is 2.5% but EPS has come down a little bit some other numbers have grown by more. Um, they've had some growth in some things recently. You could see how you could get to a 10% return or something, I guess. Um, there's not a lot of upside, though, that I'm seeing, unless you know there's something that they could get a lot of growth from somewhere else. Um, so you are you know, taking some risk. These things have debt on them. They have some risk of things going wrong for returns that seem in line with like long-term returns in, in stocks at mm-hmm. best at the bottom end of that, you know? Um, now you could say stocks are really expensive right now and this is, you know, this isn't. So I'm being pushed into this by the fact that I can't get uh, other stocks at more reasonable prices. So even though these prices don't look particularly low to me versus the long-term history of the stock market, maybe they look pretty good versus other stocks today and that's what matters. And that might be true. I, you know, I think the return prospects here are maybe pretty certain, but they're pretty low, you know, um, if we're talking about making, you know, like in this case, maybe 8% a year or something like that, you know, you are taking some risk that that doesn't happen. So 8% with a significant, if, if you're not going to make more than eight, nine, 10% in something and you have risks, then I don't know. That's, that's kind of a low return to take for having meaningful risk, mm-hmm. you know, in a business. You're taking the equity here. Um, so it's just the price doesn't really seem low enough to me, would be what I would say. But of course, the price isn't too bad. You know, people would say, well, it's 10 times EBITDA and stuff. These are pretty good prices. But if you don't grow at all, you kind of need really good prices. Mm-hmm. You honestly need more like 10 times or nine times or something earnings, you know, than 10 times EBITDA. If something doesn't grow at all, you probably want the PE to be in the single digits 
Um, and that's a P that's leveraged too. You know, I, if you get like an unleveraged, you know, those the company having no debt at all, and you got a P of nine with no debt or something, then it gets to be a really interesting stock probably, even if it doesn't grow. But if you have a double digit P plus you have debt and everything, I don't know. There's just probably a lot of other stocks that you could find that you could get similar returns to what these seem priced to offer, which are high single digit type returns that, you know, it, it seems hard to imagine them getting much better than that. Um, they haven't even really been buying back their stock recently, right? They've been paying dividends. Mm-hmm. They, they bought back a little bit of stock, but mainly dividends. Yeah. Oh, well they did buy back stock yeah. in 2021. Okay. So they basically just stopped it for COVID. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, uh, do you have Vector Group, right? Vector is a uh, uh, mixed cigarettes as well. You know well. the ticker? That should be the one, yep. So um, this company, oh, that's wrong. Is has market cap and EV is the same? Yeah, that's incorrect. Yeah, no, that's not going to be right. No, 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 this, no, no, this might be Vector. the data is incorrect. Yeah, the, I just think that the data is incorrect. Do you have the business description? It says tobacco. But manufacturers the, and sell cigarettes in the United but States. But it's also involved in, uh, isn't New York City real estate stuff? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is the company I was thinking of. So if you want a smaller company that's involved in tobacco stuff, this is one of the ones that was a small cigarette, uh, smaller cigarette brand um, and uh, has gone into it's doing growth. other things and stuff. So what do they do? Do they take their cigarette business and use the cash flow from that to go into other businesses like real estate? Mm-hmm. I think that has a lot to do with who's in control of the company and stuff like that, like who who's involved with it and things of that nature is my guess uh, because they kind of cross over in terms of real estate stuff with um, having taken this company. Um, then you see what the free cash flow situation is there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then they're very heavy on debt. I don't know why it's not capturing that in quick FS stuff. Let's see if we can see it here. So I just wanted to one point four billion. Right. So it's one point four billion in debt, but it also has a large amount of cash, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does it have short term debt? Uh yeah, thirteen right. billion. So you have nine hundred million in net debt, right? Mm-hmm. Or no, they have short term investments too. Yeah, so, million. Okay. So actually we're talking about um seven hundred fifty million, let's say, something like that. They have some capital leases, but let's say seven fifty. So now let's go to the overview. And with 750, um, that gets us to, you know, let's say 2.5 billion, something like that. If we look at free cash flow, so if we look at the cash flow statement, um, in recent years, the last three years or so, they've done what? Mm, one, I mean, one year was only 110 in free cash flow, I guess, or, or 100. But some of the others were 150 and two better than 250. So, mm-hmm. you know, 100 to 250. Um, 250 would be 10 times free cash flow. Um, it's not that different than some of the other businesses on that, but that's on a uh, on leverage basis. So this company is very leveraged, mm-hmm. but I'm saying if we compare it to the EV, um, I think last year they probably, and probably this year, we'll see, um, will produce about one-tenth of EV. And so, of course, because a bunch of their capital structure is debt, that means that you'll get over 10% free cash flow yields on, on a leverage basis. Um, they unfortunately have not bought back stock, right? They have not, no. Uh, and they issued issue shares. Shares, yeah. I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, so they've paid off some debt recently. 
but I think historically they haven't shown any tendency to pay off debt. They mm-hmm. build as least as much on. They pay pretty large dividends, right? Mm-hmm. So although it's not huge compared to their free cash flow recently, but yeah. Oh, they cut it for COVID, I guess. They had been paying a higher uh-huh. dividend, yeah. yeah. So let's go to the overview and see what their dividend was and what it is now. Um, so call it like a buck forty a share is what it was, and then it's yeah. eighty cents now. Yeah, uh-huh. an eleven dollar stock. Yeah. Yeah. But at least you're getting some growth with it. Well, I also think, uh, I so I don't know all the details on this. You'd have to read the presentation and learn more about cigarette stuff. Um, I think that they have a value brand strategy. So I believe they are definitely a much weaker brand um, than what we were just looking at. Um, so this is not a brand that has the strength of a Marlboro or something. But I think they may try to have volume gains at times by um, undercutting on price and things like that so you could look at that and then it's also involved in other things like they said although i don't know how significant that is um i don't know i mean we look at more overlooked stocks sometimes i wouldn't necessarily recommend this one but if you like the things that you saw with other cigarette companies and you think oh i really like a lot of leverage i really like a lot of dividends i really the this has that (laughs) and the price is not you know this is in some ways a more extreme example what kind of real estate do they do Real estate sales and marketing, title insurance, services to real estate buyers and financial institutions. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it without buildings, knowing all the, because I don't know all the details off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but I've um, read some things about another business some of these people are associated with who are involved with this one. And uh, I, I think it's like broker, basically brokerage type stuff in um, New York City. They seem to be very involved with New York City real estate. And um, from what I remember looking at it, there's some connections between um, some people on the board and uh, New York City real estate stuff. And that's probably the reason for it. But I don't know all the details. I don't know all the details about the history of this company since the 90s and stuff. I know a little bit about what was going on back then. But um, yeah. Um, right. So market cap is what? About the same as it was 10 years ago yeah. or something in that neighborhood. Ish. But they paid a bunch of dividends, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, their payout ratio allegedly, right, is over 100% all the time yeah. in terms of the enterprise mm-hmm. and in terms of their reported earnings per share. But it's not necessarily all that high versus their free cash flow. Although pretty much, let's see. If you go back, we could see what they were doing before COVID and see what I would consider free cash flow. So free cash flow. All right. So, yeah, I'd say they paid dividends in excess of free cash flow each year. Taking on debt to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what that's all about. I think there's some riskiness there um, of doing that to be that committed to it um, as they have been. But I know people love their dividends for cigarette companies and stuff. So I felt that I had to point this one out. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some other ones, I guess, that are parts of other companies and things like that. Not a lot. Right. Um, And there is right scheduled to be a spinoff of a, um machine made cigars um company right Mm -hmm. it's pretty similar to cigarette type company in that i believe all of the brands that are being spun off are going to be uh machine made uh cigars so you know like i don't know white owl or something like that that kind of thing um there's they're not premium cigar things so the distribution and the uh things like that is basically similar to cigarettes so it, it um that'll be one to look at 
I guess, if you're interested in those kinds of things. That business has probably grown a lot recently, is my guess. I don't know all the details. Certainly, premium cigars have surged in the last few years, but I also think that some machine-made things have for some stuff. Um, so I don't know all the 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 um, results of that, but we'll see them when they do presentations and things like that on it. And sometimes spinoffs are interesting for people, you know, because of, like, if you read, you can be a stock market genius and all that. You might just be interested in spinoff type things. So Will that's that be the only pure play cigar company? So there public? used to be pure play cigar companies that are public, you know, back in the cigar boom in the nineties and stuff there were, but um, I think there was even one that was a online retailer. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they're pretty small, but yeah. Um, technically. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cause you were talking about Swedish match and Scandinavian tobacco and all those um, that is involves different like smokeless products and stuff that they're really into. That seems to be their focus. Um, so yeah, that would be the pure play. Um, like I said, pure play machine made a cigar company. And uh, so, you know, like machine made, they probably do billions in unit volume. So it's much closer to cigarettes that way. Um, but you know, it's a, it, it might be valued differently than cigarette companies. And it's unclear, you know, if it should be and whatever, and mm. we'll just have to watch and see what that looks like. As I said, that'd be fun. We could do it on the podcast. I haven't talked about an actual spinoff in some time. Yeah. There've been a few spinoffs recently. I've looked at and stuff. Um, we'll see. A lot of them, not that exciting to be honest. I mean, the big one coming up really soon, right. Is, uh, cause we talked about entertainment things before on this is the Warner brothers discovery. Mm-hmm. right that's interesting because we'll see what happens but at&t is a very very big retail stock like it's owned by an incredible amount of individual investors sure, yeah. and um it just i mean just in terms of the number of shares like mm-hmm. a huge number of them are owned by individual investors and they own it for its dividend and so you're going to have a spinoff into something that's going to have no dividend mm-hmm. right and that's entertainment with warner brothers and discovery um, that is probably something that people, a lot of people weren't even aware that they owned Warner and stuff, um, probably with AT&T and they like the dividend. And so it could be that you have a bunch of selling of that more than there should be. And then it's interesting from the perspective that you have the connection with discovery and the way that it could be run and everything. Um, and even like dividend based models or mutual funds, stuff like that, you could get a lot of systemic selling. Yeah, and it's also interesting what the attitudes are about things because I remember reading some article and they said, and of course, Warner Discovery or Discovery Warner or whatever they're going to call it, um, it will have a lot of debt and stuff. And I thought it was funny because I don't, well, we could put an AT&T so people could see this. I don't know if you'll realize this because it has a high dividend and stuff. AT&T is a incredibly mm-hmm. yeah. large borrower. For a non-financial company, it has an incredible, I mean, it's got to be one of the biggest that there is um, in the US and stuff. Uh, there just aren't many companies that borrow this much. $152 billion Right. And long-term debt. Short-term debt, $25.8 billion. Right. Uh, yeah. And $21 billion in cash. Right. Yeah, and then crazy. look at the cash flow um, on an annual basis, right? Yeah, $41 billion. So, you know, it's, I mean, like, we're talking about gross debt levels that are, you know, um, you need four years to generate enough cash yeah, from operations yeah. for it. And this is a business that has huge amounts of CapEx needs. You know, if you look, they although their cash from operations might be that high, they spend half of their cash from operations on CapEx, really. 
Um, and the business that's going to be le- that's going to be spun out isn't going to have that. So it'll look probably much uglier um, in terms of you know not paying a dividend, mm-hmm. in terms of earnings numbers like that, right? But it, it may not be so bad in terms of cash flow numbers that you see. And if you look into that, so it might it could attract people who are more interested in the cash, um, the cash flow types of things, the EBITDA types type things, and less the reported whatever numbers. And it's a big big business mm-hmm. i mean you have one of the bigger cable channels around the world i mean the two of them actually now when you combine them and you also have one of the biggest movie studios that'll be part of it so as well as large tv production and things like that and dividends per share of call it two dollars five cents on a 23 dollar stock uh yeah so they are um going to reduce their dividend mm-hmm when they do the spinoff, uh, but not by a huge amount. So they'll still be a very high yielding dividend stock. So it, uh, it, it'll be interesting. They had thought about doing it a different way, which might've been not as good for creating mispricing uh, or, or it might've, I don't know, but by spinning it up, by doing a straight spinoff, they could definitely have an opportunity to, um, for mispricing. Maybe we'll see. I love it when, if you buy a stock because of the dividend yield, but then you look at the actual price of the shares and it's just halved over the past yeah. five years. I guess you can make like, yourself, well, you got that 10%. You can make yourself happy by every time the price goes down and the yield goes up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so my yield keeps going up higher and higher. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's true, right? So of course, if, what did we say? The dividend yield is now, let's say the dividend yield is around 7% or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's probably as close to that. Um, you know, some people who bought it, you know, well, that is also an, I don't know that this will matter because I don't know how people think about these things and stuff, but the tax basis for many people in this stock will probably be a loss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you look, you, I mean, you can look longer term. Do you have, you have all, you have things like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So this has been so long since you would have had to buy the stock so long ago on average to have a gain in it. Yeah. Um, that when you spin off a stock like this without getting into, you know, this isn't tax advice and stuff, but when you spin off a stock like this, you assign a basis to it, which is based on various things or whatever. What it basically means is that if you had a stock where you had large gains and you have a spin off, you have the risk that you're going to end up selling something, although new as a spin off, if you sell it immediately, that you'll have a large, they have meaningful gain in because you're basically taking a fraction of what you had before into it. But the reverse is also true. So if people don't have large gains of any kind, that might encourage people to sell a little bit more. I don't know. But I think in general, if you had a stock that was going up 20% a year for 20 years, so everyone who was in it had these really big gains, then they might not want to sell something really fast when, you know, and they might want to think about it and stuff. But here, doesn't pay a dividend. I don't have to take a lot. You know, maybe I get a little tax loss from it. Okay. But probably more like you know from looking at this chart and stuff what's very likely is it's not much of a gain it's not much of a loss whatever you know um it's not a big tax event for me so i could sell thinking mm-hmm. that way it's in a totally different industry mm-hmm. um this, you know all those this things. is like the setup that joe greenblatt except always it's huge. writes about except it's yeah, gi- yeah that's gigantic totally and uh-huh. even the sp- spun off part is going to be huge uh-huh. um the spun off part will still be really really big um but you know but so there's probably a lot of people thinking about it, looking at it and stuff, but it is something to, to think about, uh, what will happen there and maybe to analyze things ahead of time for when it happens. Uh, 
um, because it's rare that there's a spinoff this well, spinoffs this big are just rare in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, to have something this big um, with this sort of difference in them, right? They're so completely different. Mm-hmm. The two companies, like the shareholder base is going to be different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know, it's something to look into and to consider whether you want to buy the spinoff. It'll depend on the price and all that. But that's the other thing that's kind of convenient. If you look at uh, if we look at the overview of AT and T, um, it's not a terribly expensive Mm-mm. stock. No, it's not. And honestly, because of the way that they calculate things in this, um, in articles and analysts and things, they're all going to do the same thing, which is to assign a proportion of the value. So how much value do I assign to AT and T? How much value do I assign to the spinoff? And of course, the spun off company plus the parent together they're going to say have to equal whatever the market value of the stock was on the day it was spun off that's how they think they're not going to say well once they spin off their their the combined package is worth more they never say that mm-hmm. so they basically are going to figure out how much is at&t worth and how much is um warner worth and then you know that's going to be how they think about what the hv price set and stuff now it is different because it's basically being bought by another company and all of that here, so it's not just being spun out. Um, you know, they're combining it, so that's the part that's a little different. But in general, a problem with a lot of spinoffs lately has been the companies they're spinning out of have not been very cheap, and it's much better if it's an underperforming uh, company for a while that's much cheaper as a stock and everything. And I think a big problem for a bunch of the spinoffs I've looked at is simply that they were spinning out of a company that was just doing too well. You know, the price was too high. And so when you spin out, they'll assign a portion of that to the company that spun out. And if you think, if you had really high multiples on the other stock, it's hard to have it suddenly drop by mm-hmm. a huge amount on the part that spun out. Yeah, this is the opposite, right, with the yep. current valuation. <laughs> right, we're talking about values in terms of price to book that are like, I mean, this is a value stock. It's yeah. probably in, you know, things that, that look at that in terms of single digit PE, yeah. right? EV Price to book around like 12 one, times, yeah. dividend yield that's high. It's a giant company. So I wouldn't think that there are opportunities in giant spinoffs like this, but if there were, this seems like the, like a one to look at. Maybe mm. one of them, I haven't seen another one that's as interesting this way. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us. Hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening, watching, or viewing uh follow me on twitter at focus compound that's the best place to get everything that we put out into the universe if you are interested in our money management services reach out to me andrew at focus you could also go to the invest with us uh tab at focus compounding.com i want to thank everybody so much for all the support thanks for tuning in with us and we will see you in the next podcast